Good morning. My name is Kevin. Our second Bible reading today is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, starting at verse 9 through to verse 15. Please open your Bibles and read along with me. Verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. May the Lord bless the public reading of his word. Well, friends, we are thinking, and not just thinking, but praying the Lord's Prayer. We've been praying it, and we'll continue to do so. Uh, but I thought what I might ask you to do, just before I pray again, and we consider this prayer, this passage, I want you just to take a short moment, reflecting over just, just this past week, the prayers you could see that God has answered. Just take a short moment, reflect. What are the prayers that God answered? This past week, even. I hope that's encouraging, just to reflect. God does answer our prayers. He listens to us. Let's pray and we'll consider this. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that when we come to you, we come not as strangers, but as children running into the arms of our loving Heavenly Father. You listen to us and you answer our prayers and often answer, answering our prayers beyond our wildest imaginations. We pray, Lord, that as we consider this prayer, learning from our Lord how to pray, that you will teach us how we are to pray. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the year was 1940, which meant it was World War II, during World War II. In the month of May that year, Germany, they were making huge advances in their fight in Europe. Hitler unleashed a military onslaught on Belgium and France, and the British army, they were trapped in Dunkirk. They faced a real threat of annihilation. Winston Churchill, who was in fact preparing to announce to the nation that we, we, we might lose, we're going to lose all these soldiers, over 300,000 soldiers. But then on the 24th of May, do you know what happened? The king at that time, King George VI, he called for a national day of prayer. He urged all the citizens to join together in prayer, to come out in prayer to God in the spirit of repentance and seeking for divine intervention. And so what happened? After he called for that day of prayer, millions around the UK, they came out to pray. Long lines outside Westminster Abbey. There's a picture there, a very, very blurry picture. Millions came out, churches around the nation, they all came together to pray on the day of prayer. It makes you think, doesn't it? I wonder if a day of prayer was called today, whether we'll get that type of response.
But what was the result of the praying? Well, two events immediately followed. A storm arose over Dunkirk so rough that it grounded the German planes who were shooting down the soldiers along the beach. But then also, a great calm settled on the channel, allowing those little boats to ferry back those 335,000 soldiers, and they were saved. Now, what does that story tell you about the power of prayer? What does that story tell you about the heart of King George VI and the millions who came out to pray? You see, the thing about prayer is that it reveals something about our heart. In fact, prayer reveals the very center of our heart. Our prayer reveals a lot about us. They are like the window into our hearts, what we hold dear, what we treasure, what we trust. You see, our prayers reveal what we think about God. What we pray, how we pray, shows whether we think God is a big God or a small God, dealing with small things. Or is he a big God that he can even manage and manoeuvre the weather and save the soldiers? Or is the God in our mind, by how we pray, a small God? Because our prayers are really limited to, please bless me, please keep my family safe, please give us good health. Please help us pass the tests and the exam and the interview and may the surgery go well. Not that that's wrong. I pray those prayers too. I I pray those prayers as well. But if that is the extent of our prayers, what does it show about our heart? About what we think about God, small or big? And our prayers also reveal the type of communion we have with our Father. Is God like the friend we only call upon when we need to call upon a favour? I need someone to give me a hand. You've got a truck, you can help me move my house. Or or do we treat God like a genie where you are there to give me what I want, on my command, on my demand? Or is the type of fellowship we have with our Father, by how we pray, shows a rich, deep intimacy. I just want to spend more time with my Father in heaven. You see how powerful our prayers are, or how revealing our prayers are, They show what our heart is like. Robert Murray Machane, Scottish minister, he once said, What a man is alone, on his knees, before God, that he is, and no more. Such a powerful statement, isn't it? What a man is alone, alone, no one around, on his knees, the right posture before God, that he is and no more. And so how do we make sure today, as we learn from our Lord how to pray, that the prayers of our heart reflect the heart of our God, even by the things we ask for? I mean, it's quite revealing what we ask God for, and that's what we'll be reflecting on today, this part of the Lord's Prayer. Give me, give me, give me. They reveal a lot about our heart. And so how do we make sure that even what we ask for It's a reflection of the heart we should have. Well, that's why it's important we started last week with the first part of the Lord's Prayer. You see, the the first part of the Lord's Prayer sets the framework. It sets the priority. It is your name, God, first, your kingdom, your will. And now we only come to, well, give us and forgive us. That's what we'll look at today. And so how does Jesus teach us to pray after we've considered God first, you first? What the kids were learning before, God first. 
But now we turn to give us. What did Jesus teach? Well, give us today our daily bread. Now, you should already notice, but it's very easy to miss. Do you notice that Jesus said, give us? It's not the singular pronoun, not give me my daily bread, but give us our daily bread. Now, why that? Why is that important? You see, it's to prevent us from praying individualistically and even selfishly. It is to help us to be mindful and thoughtful what we pray for. We want for our brothers and sisters as well. Give us, not just me, but us. Because God is our Father, not just my Father. And so the first thing we should realize and recognize, it's our Father. Give us. But give us what? Well, maybe a prayer like this. Father, give us today for breakfast, smash avocados on toast. Um, Not the wholemeal type, but the white one with poached eggs done just right and smoothies on the side. For lunch, maybe lobster sandwich with truffle sauce and bubble tea. For dinner, wagyu steak from Japan, maybe another lobster, some caviar, and just all the good stuff. I mean, is that how we're praying? Is that what we're praying? Well, certainly what we want. I want that. My birthday's coming up. If you want some ideas, there you go. But is that what Jesus meant? Give us our daily bread. Well, it means that we are to pray for our bare necessities. It is to recognize that all we have, all we need to survive comes from God. I remember an old cartoon. Remember The Simpsons? I'm not even sure if that's around anymore, but growing up, watched The Simpsons a fair bit. There was this one episode where the family was around the dinner table and Bart Simpson, who was asked to say grace, And do you know the prayer, the grace he said? Well, here's a cartoon picture. He said, Dear God, we paid for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. And then everyone's jaws just dropped. But of course, Bart saw it wrongly. And even today, for many of us, I suspect, it's so easy with the convenience of Coles and Woolies and Audi. It's so easy because we're not like the Israelites who have to go out day after day in the desert to collect manna because there you see a miracle every day God provided. You see, it's very easy, just like Bart, it is for us as well to not see that every good thing comes from God. All that we need to live and survive comes from God's good hand. God is kind. God provides. You know, we may have to pay for it all, but how does that come about? All that we own comes from God. Our ability to work comes from God. Our ability to breathe, every breath, comes from the hand of God. And so we pray, Father, give us today what we need to live, what we need to survive, our necessary bread. In fact, in some Bible translation, it's, it's the bread of tomorrow, which carries that same sense. Just as you provide it today, you will provide again tomorrow. But when we pray this way, when we pray for our necessary bread, what does that reveal about our heart? If those are the things we pray for. Well, what it shows is that I'm humbly depending upon my Father for my every need, for my simple needs. You know, just like that old hymn, I need thee every hour. And it also keeps me very contented. If I recognize that Everything I have for survival, to live, to breathe, to eat, to have shelter, 
all comes from God's good hand. I am contented. I remain thankful and grateful because I have enough. If you have that attitude, you are content. I remember reflecting on this back um, at Bible college time, four years at Bible college up in Sydney. At that time, during that period, I was not working, no work income. Um, we had very little as a family. Yvonne was not working, full-time mum looking after Esther. And during those four years, we had Caleb and Ethan, so two more boys, so a family of five. Um, that's what we ended up with after Bible college. But the five of us, we lived in a very tiny two-bedroom flat. We didn't have very much, didn't really eat out, tight, squashy family home. But then looking back, life was just so simple, so easy in a sense, so content and happy. We didn't have much, but we always had enough. It's that attitude coming to God. You give us our daily bread. That is enough. I am content. And so we pray, our Father, give us today our daily bread. And so how will God answer that prayer? Well, that's why Jesus taught us to begin our prayer with our Father. We cannot forget that. That's how we begin our prayers. You see, we're not coming to some distant, disinterested deity, nor are we coming to some genie who's there just to do our bidding. But we're like a child running into the arms of our loving Heavenly Father. And Jesus says in our first reading in chapter 7, Matthew, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? I mean, any of us parents try to pull that off. I mean, that, that would scare our kids. Verse 11, If you then, though you are evil, I mean, that's making a big statement, isn't it? Us who are parents, we want to give the best to our children. But even so, we're not perfect. We are often selfish and lazy and inconsiderate. But if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I mean, what father, what parent will not want the best for their children? Perhaps only parents will understand this, but what one said to me once, one parent said to me once, our heart as a parent is bound up with our saddest child. Have you heard that before? The joy of a parent is in fact bound up with the saddest child. And so if one child's up here, very happy and joyful and content, but your other child's down here, well, the heart of the parent's down here to match with that saddest child. And so as a parent, you want to do all you can for the one who needs, the one who's down there. But then do you see what Jesus said? How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And so if we are down here, like a loving heavenly Father that he is, his heart is bound to us, bound to giving us joy and happiness and doing what is good for us and for our godliness. You see, God never refuses what is good for his children. If it is good for us, we ask, he will give it. It is certain. I mean, if any of my kids were to ask me, I've finished all my maths exercise. I need a new maths textbook. What will I do? I'll buy him another one. Or her, more likely the her, but anyway. But that has never happened. You see, God will never hold back what is good for us. It is so profound. 
how much more? Now, this doesn't mean that we get everything we want when we come to God and ask. He's not a genie. He's a parent. Praying to see, praying like rubbing Aladdin's lamp and getting all we want. Just imagine if that were to be so. You know, we have 200 people here, 200 lamps. You all rub the lamp. You get what you want. How dangerous would that be? And I even wonder whether some of us might just disappear if we wish what we wanted. But you can imagine how terrible and scary that will be. But God is not like that. He's our parent. He gives not what we want, but what we need. And so how do we pray? How do we know what to pray? Well, it's why Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer in the order that he did. We need to pray in the way it was framed. We begin with God, shaped by that priority, God's name, God's kingdom, God's will before we turn to what we want and what we need. You see, what we want needs to be, in a sense, sanctified, made right by God first, by the greater priority. And so I found this helpful just to think about. What I ask, does it align with the greater priority? What I want, what I pray for, what my heart desires, does it align with your name, your kingdom, your will? That's worth reflecting on. And so if I pray, please make me rich, famous, successful. Well, I need to ask myself, am I really on about God's name and God's kingdom? Or am I really on about my own? I mean, have a think about your last few prayers and ask yourself, how does it align? How is it shaped by that greater priority? Your name, your kingdom, your will first. And also, does it match the bigness of God? And if it does, when we pray, we can pray boldly. May King George VI so bold as to even pray for such a miracle. And so give us. We come as children to a loving Heavenly Father. But now Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. That is, we come to God as children, but we must also remember we come to God as sinners. We come as children, but also as sinners. We pray for bread for our body, but we pray for forgiveness for our soul. And so when we come to God, we come with nothing to hide. There is no hiding at all from God's gazing eyes. And I do wonder whether this part of the Lord's Prayer is the most uncomfortable when we seek forgiveness. Because when we genuinely seek forgiveness, it is all exposed. Not just our good stuff, it's the filth, the rottenness within our hearts. And so to pray for forgiveness, it's never meant to be prayed generically. Lord, forgive me all my sins. That, that just will not do it. But it's in fact learning to pray specifically, pointing out where those failings are, those brokenness, the, the falling short of God's standard, praying specifically. Please forgive me, Lord. I've dishonored your name in how I talk to my children. I've prayed that prayer often. Please forgive my greed, my covetousness. I shouldn't have envied what my brother and sister got. Please forgive me, Lord, for my pride. I should not have allowed myself to get such a big head with all those praises. Please forgive my lust. I should never have had that second look. You see, there's no pretend with God. Learning to pray for forgiveness, it is uncomfortable. 
because our heart is laid bare before God who sees it all. He sees it all anyway before we even ask for forgiveness. You see, amongst the people of God, amongst our friends and family and the church, we can put on a facade, but we cannot before God. His piercing eyes penetrate the deepest recess of our hearts. And so it's perhaps the most uncomfortable part of the Lord's Prayer. But at the same time, I wonder whether it's also the most relieving. Because if I come to God and I'm sincere and genuine, I know my heart is not clean. I know that I'm weighed down by guilt and shame and it just feels heavy and overbearing. But when I come to my Father and He already sees the worst in me, and when I pray, Father, forgive me. Please cleanse me, renew me, make me new again, change me, transform me. And what's God's answer to that? Well, our Father, if it's sincere, it is always a yes. This is a prayer where the answer is always yes. And that should just fill our hearts with joy, relieve us, blow our minds even. I mean, you think about it. You come to God with filth, with the shame, with the guilt, with all that we carry. And then you say to God, please forgive me. And then you reflect on it. Do, do you mean, Father, you will let all that go? Are you, are you for real, Father? Do, do you mean, Father, you will not hold all that I've done wrong against me? And what does God say? Well, yes, my son. Yes, my daughter. Because of my son. Because of his blood shed for you. Because of his death paid for you. You see how uncomfortable that part of the Lord's Prayer is. But yet at the same time, if we're sincere, so relieving. It's the burden lifted off our shoulders. It's the heart that's cleansed. It's the shame that's removed. I mean, I often describe it like this when we... Know for the first time forgiveness from God. It's like we start to walk so lightly in life. We, we have a bounce because the burden is off. It's why I think it's not only strange but wrong. And I'm sure you've heard this before when people speak about you have to learn to forgive yourself first. Have you heard that? Learn to forgive yourself first. I'll I tell you why I think it's not only strange but wrong. I understand why people speak this way, and it's very common in pop psychology. Learn to forgive yourself first. It, it's appealing to you know, our psychology to process things and to move on. But from the Christian worldview, it's nonsensical. Because think about what it took for you, for my sins to be forgiven. It cost our Lord his blood, his life. And for our Father to then say, you are forgiven. Who am I to go against what my father says? Shall I trust what I think about myself above what my father says that you are forgiven? I mean, if I cannot forgive myself, which some of us may feel, then what's the problem with that? Well, the problem with that is that I have become the highest voice I listen to rather than God's voice. If he says I'm forgiven, then I'm forgiven indeed. I need to bring my emotions, my feelings, my thinking under that. If God says I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven indeed. And there's no place, no need for me to forgive myself. And that's why we don't pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven ourselves. We don't read that. Instead we pray, forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Has God now made his forgiveness of us conditional on us forgiving others? Because it seems like Jesus goes on to say that in verses 14 and 15. Jesus said, Actually, it's in your Bible. Turn to Matthew 7, verse, Matthew 6, sorry, verse 14, 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So what's Jesus getting at? You see, what this prayer calls for is, it calls for a real change in our hearts. There's no faking it. How is it possible that any one of us is able to forgive when we've been deeply hurt? If we've been deeply betrayed, how can we forgive? How do I stop holding a grudge? How do I stop that bitterness? How do I stop that rottenness inside? Holding sin against someone who's hurt me so deeply? Or holding the the wrong, the, the hurt against that person? I mean, if you have experienced forgiving some, someone for a deep hurt. You, you, you know what this means. But how is it at all possible? Well, the only way that I can be so gracious and forgiving is if I first experience that grace and forgiveness. If I know deep down how much I've been forgiven, how much it costs God for me to be forgiven, and if my heart has been changed by what Jesus has done for me, that's how I learn to forgive others. And so do you see how exposing this prayer is? It exposes whether our heart has been changed already by the grace of God. If I'm not showing any forgiveness to others, and so when you hear people say, I just cannot bring myself to forgiving that person, that's like the slave in the parable who's been forgiven 10,000 talents by the king, but would not be willing to forgive the 100 talents owed to him by some other man. And that's why Spurgeon says, now we go to that Spurgeon quote. Spurgeon says, Unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's Prayer. Isn't that something you need to allow to sink in a bit? Unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's Prayer. It's why so uncomfortable. But if I forgive others, then God will forgive me because it shows that I've understood the forgiveness I've already received from him. And so perhaps at this point it's worth reflecting, given that we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper, it calls for some self-reflection, doesn't it? I mean, I've seen how unforgiveness in people just eats away inside. It's nasty. It's ugly. You know, there's that old saying, Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Have you heard of that before? Unforgiveness is it's the bitterness you carry inside. You're drinking the poison, but you're hoping someone else will die, but that won't happen. I mean, I have to, had, have to apply this to my own life many times when I've been deeply hurt. Very hard to forgive, very hard. But to forgive does not mean I forget. It's not like when you forgive, you get amnesia. You know how you hear people say forgive and forget? It's not the case. You don't forget, 
But what you don't do is you don't any longer hold a hurt against that person. And so husband and wife in conflict, past conflicts, if they have been forgiven and repented of, they do not pop up again in future conflict and arguments. And so it's a time for self-reflection. The relationships in your life, when you pray like this, are you praying your own death warrant? Are you drinking your own poison? You see, reconciliation is not always possible. It's a broken world. But an important principle I apply to my own life is that as far as it depends on me, I need to have a clear conscience before the Lord. I must forgive. I must forgive. I cannot go on drinking my own poison. And so do you see how exposing this part of the prayer is? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It means I better also go on forgiving. I better do justice to God's forgiveness of me. And so this part of the prayer, it exposes our hearts. And so what is your heart like? Because your prayers expose and reveal what your heart is like. It's a window into your heart. And so what do we do? What are we called to do? Well, we're called to pray. The Puritans would say, pray until you pray. It's an interesting phrase. Pray until you pray. That is, you pray until you pray until you see that you are in fact doing business with God. Or Martin Luther, he said, and he would use quite colourful words. He said, you must learn to call on the Lord. Don't sit all alone or lie on the couch, shaking your head and letting your thoughts torture you. Don't worry about how to get out of your situation or brood about your terrible life, how miserable you feel and what a bad person you are. Instead say, get a grip on yourself, you lazy bum. Fall on your knees and raise your hands and eyes toward heaven. Read a psalm, say the Lord's Prayer and tearfully tell God what you need. I mean, don't you love that? Colourful words, but don't you love that? But of course, we learn from our Lord to pray. Remember, it's the Lord's Prayer, which means Jesus prayed it. When Jesus prayed for the daily bread, in fact, how did God answer that prayer? He fed 5,000. Fed 5,000. But there is a line that Jesus didn't, in fact, pray for himself. He, in a sense, prayed it on our behalf. It's to forgive our sins. And when did Jesus pray that? Remember, on the cross, as the world was all against him, the world was against the Son of God and crucified the Son of God, what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And because Jesus prayed such a prayer, we learn to pray such a prayer. With hope, with boldness, our prayers reveal our heart. Are they Showing a small God or a big God. Father, you can give us. Please give us. Father, please forgive us. What a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. I'll end with this story. It's a great story if it was true. We don't know, but it's a great story. It's a story told about Alexander the Great heading home from a victorious battle when his caravan came upon a beggar. The beggar asked for some copper coins. The courtiers sent him away. And, and, but Alexander the Great said, well, well, what did he want? The courtiers said, well, he wanted a copper coin. So Alexander went back to the caravan, 
got a bag of gold and gave it to the beggar. Now the courtier, he was so surprised of the generosity of, of Alexander. And so he said, sir, a, a copper coin would have adequately met the beggar's need. Why give him gold? Alexander said this, a copper coin would suit a beggar's need, but gold coins suit Alexander's giving. Now we're not sure if that was a true story, but it's so good it ought to be. But isn't that what it's like coming to our Heavenly Father, who owns the universe, who made it all, the King of the universe? When we come, give us. You know, we might ask for copper coins, but he gives us not just a bag of gold. He gives us so much more for our good, beyond our wildest imaginations. When we pray, forgive us, it is complete. It is absolutely complete forgiveness because he's already given us his son. You see, our prayers reveal our heart. And so in this next week, in your prayers, reflect even what you are praying and see what does it show about how you think about God, big or small, and have a think, reflect on what it shows about your communion with God. Are you seeing him like a genie or he is your Father in heaven who loves you so dearly? May our hearts reflect the heart of God in our prayers. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for how you, in your Son, teach us how to pray. You are our loving Heavenly Father. You give us more than we could ever imagine nor deserve. But teach us to pray in line with your will, for your kingdom's sake, that your name might be honoured and magnified. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.